Good morning. Today is Friday, September 17th, 2021. So I have an acquaintance who is very, very intelligent. He's a professor of law. His name is Chaim Seyman. And he wrote the following. Uh, a colleague asked him, a non-Jewish colleague asked him, so what did you do yesterday? So here's his answer. He said, I was on a retreat. I started with a deep water immersion, then a 24-hour total cleanse. During that time, I mostly did not talk or engage in any media so I could discover who I am and think about who I want to be. For emphasis, I wore flowing white robes. I sought inspiration for some ancient poetry and a few yoga moves. At the end, I sang soulfully and happily after a primitive blast from an artisanal horn, hoping to wake up to a better me tomorrow. Okay, I think that's one very good way to put what many of us did yesterday. I want to share something about how to take yesterday and to move forward today and going forward. It's partially based on remarks by Dr. David Pelkovitz. It builds on something that I shared with you a few weeks ago, and I shared yesterday at Adath as well. Charles Bosk is a sociologist at the University of Pennsylvania. And he once conducted a set of interviews with young doctors who had either resigned or been fired from neurosurgery training programs. And his goal was he wanted to understand what differentiates them, those who did not do well in a neurosurgery program, what was the difference between them and the 1% of neurosurgeons that are considered the best in their field, that have the lowest number of deaths and the best surgery outcomes? What was the difference between these two groups of surgeons? And what he found is that the difference was not in their test scores. It was not in their skills. The top predictor was how they handled their mistakes. The top neurosurgeons would not go home until they changed setback to feedback. They would rethink everything they had done and how they could have done it better. While the bottom group of surgeons, the ones who did not do well, usually would externalize the blame for the negative outcome. So Bosk writes, in my interviewing, I began to develop 
an indicator of whether someone was going to make a good surgeon or not. It was a couple of simple questions. Have you ever made a mistake? And if so, what was your worst mistake? The people who said, well, I haven't really had one, or I've had a couple of bad outcomes, but they were due to things outside my control. Invariably, those were the worst candidates. And the doctors who said, I make mistakes all the time. There was this horrible thing that happened just yesterday. And here's what it was. And here's what I learned from it. They were the best. It's an incredible insight. But listen to the insight coming from a fantastic Midrash about our forefather Avraham, Avraham Avinu, Abraham. There's a Midrash that says, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, that Avraham Avinu, our patriarch Abraham, Midchilaso vad sofo hutzadik, from his earliest life as a baby until his last day on earth, he was righteous. He was a tzaddik. Amazing. From his first breath till his last breath, he was a tzaddik. The Midrash continues and quotes Rabbi Yochanan, the same Rabbi Yochanan, who says, Ben Arboim v'shmonei shona hikir Avram isboro. At the age of 48, Abraham, Avram Avinu, discovered a belief in one God. In other words, up until the age 48, the first 48 years of his life, Avram was a pagan. He worshipped idols. At the age of 48, he came to the intellectual and spiritual discovery, understanding that there is one God and we must serve one God. But up until 48, he was worshiping idols like everybody else. So how can Rabbi Yochanan say that he was actually righteous from his first breath until his last, if the first 48 years of his life were spent worshiping idols? Rav Yosef Soloveitchik explains, Avraham did sin during the first 48 years of his life. He did worship idols and served other gods. But he took that and used it as a foundation for bringing thousands and thousands of other people into the folds of monotheism because he knew how to speak their idolatrous language. He knew how to comprehend their idol worship and terminology and therefore show the fault 
of their erroneous beliefs and logic. And that's why the Midrash says, Avraham, Rabbi Yochanan himself says, Avraham was a tzaddik from his first breath until his last. Because all 48 years that he was worshipping idols, he was developing the skills that would allow him to be able to reach God and cause others to reach God. And though Avraham reached God with reach reach others to serve one God during his lifetime, billions of human beings have been influenced by Avraham's teaching since that time. Here's an amazing story. There was a rabbi. I actually had the great privilege to meet him one time and to hear him speak one time in person. But of course, he is someone whose works I study on a regular basis. His name is Rabbi Yehoshua Novert. Newworth is how you would pronounce it if it was pronounced in English, but known as Rav Novert. He was living in Europe before the war broke out and he and his father were running from the Nazis and they hid in an attic in Holland. All they had with him, they were religious Jews. Rav Novert at that time was a young scholarly Jew. His father was a Tamil Chacham, a Torah scholar. All they had with them was one volume of the Talmud and one volume of the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, the volume that dealt with the laws of Shabbos. So for two years that they were hiding in this attic in Holland, the subject that they immersed themselves in was Hilcha Shabbos, the laws of Shabbos. That was the text they had. Finally, an opportunity arose and they were able to escape from the attic from Holland. And they were able to reach a dock and to be able to get on a boat that was going to Israel. But the boat was leaving on Shabbos. Now, of course, their lives were in danger. All the laws of Shabbos are set aside. Normally, on Shabbos, we're not allowed to, to, to board a ship and begin to travel. But of course, their lives were at stake. Of course, all the laws of Shabbos were set aside. And of course, they got on the boat. It was a threat to life. And their lives were saved. There's no question that that was the correct ruling. But imagine what it is like for a person just on a human level who has spent the last two years immersing themselves exclusively in every single detail of observing Shabbos. And then at the first opportunity of freedom to not be able to keep Shabbos properly. Imagine how they must have felt. Obviously, from the point of view of Jewish law, there was no question but imagine from an emotional point of view, from a human point of view, how they must have felt that this is their first Shabbos 
and they have to spend it by setting it aside. Rav Navert told the story that as he got on the boat and set aside the laws of Shabbos, which was such a part of them after this experience, he spoke to God and he said to God, Master of the universe, you know that I am getting on this ship and beginning this journey because it's your mitzvah to save life, even if it means setting aside Shabbos. But I am going to devote the rest of my life, the rest of my life, to enhancing the observance of Shabbos among the entire Jewish people. And when he reached Israel, Rabnavert devoted himself to writing a work called Shmiras Shabbos Kihilchoso, which literally means observing Shabbos properly, which is one of the classic modern works on the practical applications of observing Shabbat. It is a work that I rely on on a regular basis Thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people have this work now translated into English and other languages in order to guide themselves on the practical applications of how to observe Shabbos. So here's the question. Do you define yourself by where you felt you fall short. Of course, Rav Novert was not falling short on getting on the boat. I just want to emphasize that, but I'm just trying to explain from a human point of view how he must have felt at that moment. Do you find, do you define yourself by that? Or do you pick yourself up and say that that shortcoming becomes the catalyst for something transformative and incredible. And the question that we have to ask ourselves today is what is going to be our Shmirah Shabbos Kihil Chaso? What are we going to do with what we reviewed to ourselves yesterday? I think, certainly true for me, Perhaps it's true for you. If we are thinking honestly yesterday, we revisited parts of our life that were disappointments to us. What do we do with that today? So yes, of course, there is the beauty, there is the miracle of teshuva, of repentance. And we are assured that if if our repentance was sincere, it was accepted and we are forgiven. Yes, that's true. But I imagine some of us will still wonder about who we are and where we are going. And this is the part that we are supposed to take with us today, the day after Yom Kippur and going forward. I think this lesson is so important. How do we become 
the 1% of the greatest neurosurgeons? How do we become completely and exclusively righteous from our first breath until our last, notwithstanding the mistakes and errors and shortcomings we may have committed up until a certain point? It's very simple. We talk about what we did. We admit to it. And we learn from it. That's what separates the purely, exclusively righteous from the first minute to the last to those who were mired in the lowest and fail at what they're trying to accomplish. If we can make use of this lesson that Dr. Bosk reminds us of, if we can make use of the lesson Rabbi Yochanan is teaching us in this message, then we can take yesterday with everything that it brought up and allow it to take us forward to write our own Shmiras Shabbos Kihilchaso for ourselves, for the community, and for the entire Jewish people. May it be true for you and may it be true for me. My friends, I want to wish you a wonderful day and a great Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person. <laughs>